Take the usual podcast hosts, and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast matrix hosting, and experience a completely different world of podcast hosting. What is the podcastmatrix.com? When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition, episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Love, lust, obsession, stalking. All of these are pieces of tapestries of many relationships. But they all come to an incredibly striking, disturbing head inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Sprinkle in drunken college fraternity parties, cops that have interesting attention spans, and creepy creekside excursions and steamy relationships that lead to an end where the villain literally falls for the one he loves. To be or not to be is an incredibly fitting pseudo-title for this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. A retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 1, Episode 3, Cupid's Quiver. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Those of you that are now enamored with us here inside of the Curious Goods podcast. Because how can you not be? Especially after three whole episodes. <laughs> uh, you also need to know that we do another podcast called the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Probably the most comprehensive educational review focus podcast for marvel's agents of shield on the mm. internet yes uh, I, would I would encourage agree with that. i would encourage all of you to go check it out and really it's not even about you because i want you to listen to our podcast more it's because i want to latch you on to agents of shield as a television series because we're going to talk about good and bad points inside of this television show friday the 13th the series yeah yeah but that show is just being written so wonderfully at this point after now Four, four and a half whole seasons of nothing but awesome. Yes. It's very difficult for me to tell anybody to not tune into the series. Well, and then, of course, listen to our podcast as well. It's a great companion to the episodes of the show, our podcast. Yeah. It's the perfect companion, and you'll understand more after listening to it. You can find it over at agentsofshield.tv. You can also find it inside the show notes for this episode over at curiousgoodspodcast.com. Two Guys Talking Horror. You guys are obviously here for horror content. You're, you're listening to a podcast that's reviewing a 25-year-old television program called Friday the 13th, focusing on insane, obsessed, slash taken over items that are being recovered inside of uh, an old antique process by a couple of cousins. So obviously, you guys are here for horror. Damn straight. What you may not know is that Nick is the official host of Two Guys Talking Horror, which is over on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network that focuses specifically on providing the best educational content that there is to have about the horror genre. Nick, tell us about it. Pretty self-explanatory. I absolutely love horror. It's one of my three major passions in life. Mm. And it's not it's not just that I love horror in general. It's not that I, I, I love slashers and zombies and werewolves and things like that. It's, it's the idea of being scared. Yeah. And the storytelling involved in scaring people is what I'm really 
interested in. We pull back the curtain on anything that we review or talk about during Two Guys Talking Horror because it's not just about the gore effects. It's not just about, you know, how much blood can be spilled. Mm-hmm. It's 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 about the story. It really is about the story and what it does to the individual who's experiencing it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And again, it really does go back to that, uh, the focus of storytelling, the focus of the why Mm. of horror if i had to point to somebody in your program that's what i would tell them is that look you can go and listen to you know oh i love gore oh i love heads being popped like zits oh i love insert bloody whatever you can go and listen to that to just about anywhere on the internet but if you're really wondering why you are watching as are millions of other people you will find the answers to the why question of horror over at two guys talking horror.com. I want all of you to go and check it out. Check out all of the podcasts that, that Nick has made along with a variety of hosts across a variety of really great, unique niche horror content. Again, that's two guys talking horror.com. Nick, enough housekeeping. It's time for the retell of this episode of Friday the 13th, the series season one, episode three, Cupid's Quiver. A steamy 80s bar filled with young, hot bodies. On the bar across the room sits a very strange bronze idol slash statue of Cupid, the fairy of love. Owned by... Rick Springfield stunt double, evidently. I mean, this guy does kind of look like a Rick Springfield type of a guy. All I can say is when I saw this and that guy, all I could think was, what kind of fool am I to just let it go? To just let it go like that? Not Rick Springfield. Doesn't have any luck with the ladies. And he's getting him to strike out, strike out all over the place. And he, he positions this statue, which for me, I was wondering, you just let anybody walk in with giant statues to your bar is that is that a thing here I, I, you know i've got one in my computer bag i've just never shown it to oh me. okay so he starts positioning the statue to point to a female that uh, had basically told him to step off and Shovel kick rocks off. yeah mm-hmm. and the statue starts to move mm-hmm. it pulls back the quiver and a ray of yellow light mm-hmm. <laughs> like a phaser or something like that from a, a sci-fi show beams out of it and hits the girl and all of a sudden the girl is just so totally gaga yeah, there, for there, not Rick Springfield. There's a, there's a scientific term that we're going to use throughout this episode and the official scientific word for what's going on here it's the hot for brat factor. Hot for brat. Hot for brat factor. Gotcha. Hot for brat factor. Anyway, so after the arrow arrives at its target, the hot for brat factor factors in. The Rick Springfield lookalike literally looks at her and says, Jesse was a friend. And then he takes her off to the to the love suite of a local hotel and they make passionate love as the creepily smiling Cupid looks upon them. And as soon as the lovemaking is done, of course, they both finish and they sit there and have a nap for 10 or 15 minutes. As, as the po- it's do. the post-coital moment. Right, right. And then she makes the mistake of saying, I love you. Mm. Which then forces not Rick Springfield to attempt to murder her. Begins to strangle her to death, and a bunch of the people who were in the bar when mm-hmm. they left mm-hmm. break into the hotel room because, you know, evidently something was amiss, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get his hands off of her throat, Right, but it doesn't seem like they can, so I, I, I can't remember if the girl actually died or not. I, I think she was really close to dying. Well, while all these guys are trying to pull not Rick Springfield off of this girl, mm-hmm. one of the guys, one of the frat guys, mm-hmm. sees the, the statue and actually removes it from the hotel room. Right. So, as usual, inside of the episodes of Friday the 13th, somehow, amazingly... Exposition happens. <laughs> right. And, we, and so... Ryan and Mickey... Well, they arrive in their denim jacket, matching denim jackets, and they find out that... There's been a murder here that there was a uh, a dude from one of the local 
from one of the local fraternities and that he jacked the statue. So Mickey and Ryan head off to the local college to investigate. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get to meet our main antagonist for this episode, Creepy Eddie, played by Dennis Forrest, who has a very long career in both film and television, uh, usually plays a a strange character. Mm -hmm. And, well, he's given it 110% in this episode. Because Eddie is totally creepy. He's in a tree. He's taking pictures from far away Mm -hmm. of a hot co-ed. And he gets busted by... Everybody calls him officer, but he's not dressed like a cop. He's basically campus security. He's campus security. Yeah. 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 And he's busted by campus security. And campus security is like, ah, kids, get on out of here. And Eddie proceeds to uh, harass... Mm -hmm. This young lady, this uh, girl named Lori, and evidently uh, he believes, well, you know, we went out and I want to go out again. And she believes that I just helped you with your homework. We didn't really go out and I don't want to have anything to do with you. And luckily, this awkward moment is interrupted by Mickey and Ryan's arrival. And as they arrive, they realize that, you know, the creep factor is already high on this guy. There's no question. So Ryan and Mickey note that Eddie just happens to be wearing a t-shirt that has a heart and an arrow on it and ask creepy Eddie about where that's from. And he says, oh, it's from the super awesome fraternity that he is (laughs) cleaning, cleaning officially. Asterisk. So they decide to go over there and investigate. They walk. Eddie decides to take his truck, so of course he Kick gets there truck. first. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Kick ass truck. Too. And Eddie's upstairs, uh, quote unquote, cleaning, and comes across the statue. Mm-hmm. And instead of not being a creep, Eddie steals a statue because <laughs> supposedly it has some sort of luck charm to get you uh, lucky Scarlet with the ladies. ladies. That's right. Yeah. So Eddie tosses the statue into a bag of cleaning garbage nests that he throws into the back of his truck and throws a whole bunch of shade at Ryan and Mickey when they ask questions about the statue. Oh, yeah. And he disappears into the night onto his very first conquest. Goes back to this bar. Where very you can few, apparently bring in statues. Yeah, they allow statues. This, this, this is the same bar from <laughs> earlier in the episode. And for those that are curious, we're gonna put a we'll put a picture of what this what the statue looks like. But we're not talking like a little statuette or a, like a minifigure no, that you get from no. DC. We're, we're, we're talking like a a two and a half foot, yeah, this ridiculously is, this is bronze looking, ugly statue. Like you look at this thing and you go, oh, a creepy statue that I'll be sure to kick people out of a bar with. That's exactly what this thing yes, is. Yes, because this goes with our decor. <laughs> While Eddie's trying to score at the bar, Mickey, Ryan, and Jack, now posing as the bartender for the fraternity party, are trying to figure out where the statue is. They don't know Eddie has it, but they know that it's still somewhere in this in this fraternity. Back at the bar, Eddie finds this real peach of a girl who doesn't want to give him the time of day? Mm-hmm. But uh, good old, good old Cupid, he he sees Fires his opportunity. Lightning bolt. Yep, right into her face, and uh, <laughs> the br- the uh, hot for brat factor <laughs> goes into effect. So the girl instantly, now infected with hot for brat, grabs Eddie, and they head to Eddie's truck and head for the creek. It's time for some passionate lovemaking, thanks to creepy Cupid. What happens after you're done with the lovemaking? Well, you want to have a little honey. Because you just had a little honey. Thanks. Be sure to tip your waitresses. I'll be here all week. Well, the question you really have to ask is, why does Eddie have honey in his truck? I don't know, man. It's really strange. It is strange. The other thing that's strange is that eventually what happens... Eddie gets done and tells her, Hey, lady, I gotta go leak the lizard. I'll be right back. So I he, love you. Yeah. So he creepily disappears into the woods for what feels like about 45 minutes. So anyway, he comes back and he cracks open the door and throws a jacket in on the on the seat. 
and rips off the top of the jacket, and it's it's a beehive. It's a beehive. And he slams the door. And, so the and, honey was foreshadowing, actually. Oh, right. Well, that <laughs> that also, and, you know, bees are incredibly attracted to small amounts of honey. Right. It makes them crazy killer bees. Killer bees. So anyway, that's exactly what happens. For some unknown reason, I guess to malign bees... The bees start going crazy inside the cab and apparently sting her to death. Sting her to death. Now, while this is happening, Mickey and Ryan have discovered that through their crack investigation of the fraternity house, they've discovered that Eddie is the likely culprit for stealing the statue and they head on over to where he lives, which is evidently the basement of another building. And, and I mean, this is the this is the basement of a building. It's it, it really is High ramshackle. Creep yes. And Hardcore. oh yeah, c- complete creep factor. And it's covered in pictures of Lori. And I'm not just pictures. It's it's pictures that have been cut out, uh, placed in different poses, uh, mixed with other pictures with him. Just real creepy. After finding the creepy pictures, they decide to go and warn Lori of what's going on here. And so the hunt begins for Lori. But guess who finds her first? Eddie. <laughs> Eddie. Eddie finds her first. Our man, Eddie. When Ryan and Mickey arrive on the scene, they, they actually see Eddie taking Lori away. So, of course, Ryan being the 80s hero that he is, all dressed in denim, <laughs> chases after Eddie while Mickey looks after Lori. Ryan is able to stop Eddie by hitting him with a shovel and taking the Cupid away. Right. And and that's it. He doesn't worry about doing subduing Eddie. There's no, you know, grabbing some sort of cloth and tying him up. It's just, I've got the Cupid. Let's get the hell out of here. As Mickey, Ryan, with the Cupid doll, Lori, and joined by Jack, who's been investigating as well, the campus security guy pops up and starts going on and on. Well, you know, that fraternity with the uh, the heart and the arrow through said that uh, they got uh, their statue stolen, and this looks like that statue. I'm going to take it. Foiled by campus security. Uh, personally speaking, I would have just run for it. But, <laughs> hey, you know, that's that that's just me. So, unfortunately, Ryan, Mickey, and the gang have to, have to leave empty-handed. Eddie pops out of the shadows talks to the security guard and because they've got some kind of weird bird watching bond along with the logo on his chest still right wearing the same hey, you you uh you're part of that, fraternity. Part of that fraternity here you go you can have your statue back yeah 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 yeah, yeah. thanks thanks officer <laughs> so now creepy eddie's got his mojo slash hot for brought factor statue back and it's time to engage the hot for brought factor once again on his main focus, Lori. The gang has taken Lori back to the antique store and plan on just letting her spend the night there. And then they hear her on the phone and she's with Eddie. So it turns out what we did not know is that Lori had been zapped and she was already hot for brought. Right, right. So now Lori, sneaking away from the antique store, goes to Eddie, his his secret lair. But unbeknownst to us, it turns out it's not Lori. It's Mickey in a really bad wig. Almost as horrified as we are, Eddie instantly freaks out and decides that, well, if I can't have Lori, I guess I'll have you. Dun, dun, dun. And instantly points the Hot for Brat statue Cupid doll and shoots Mickey with it, who instantly becomes <gasps> hot for brought. Luckily, though, Ryan breaks in, and there is a, a chase. That, another chase. Uh, there's another chase that uh, involves hot, steaming pipes being broken, but not injuring anybody. <laughs> uh, a climbing scaffolding, mm-hmm. uh, some zip tying across some chains. Zip, zip lines. Zip, li- zip right. lining uh, using chains. Mm-hmm. And... Because Eddie wasn't wearing the proper footwear, he's wearing cowboy boots, (laughs) falls to his death. Ryan grabs the statue and eventually 
our three heroes are able to help Lori through a tough time and put the antique back in the vault, making the item recovered. Stalkerific. There are many aspects of this episode that I can tell you firsthand, having friends across every common factor of stalking, stalkerific relationships and boyfriend-girlfriend blah throughout the years. Home friggin' run on being able to show the creep factor. In particular, all the obsessive Mm -hmm. factoid-looking that stuff that we see from Eddie. And, and especially his, his layer. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the layer especially. But also, I'm going to say the words enable here, not to point out the fact that much of what the ladies do enables a stalker. They're going to be enabled regardless of what they do. Well, well, I, yeah. I really don't want to see you. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> That's what happens in the mind of a stalker. So I, I, I get it. But understand that... Everything that the ladies say inside of this is also a piece of the fabric that plays into a stalker's self-focus mm-hmm. inside of everything that is stalkerific. But I wanted to make sure that we emphasize that every, I think every single instant that Eddie is on camera, there is an intangible oozing creep factor oh, God, yeah. that instantly makes him where you need to you feel you need to go wash something. Mm-hmm. And uh, total kudos to the casting people. More importantly, total kudos to the actor that is Eddie. Another thing that I took from from this episode, because, I mean, today it's completely different. Oh, I mean, you have social really media yeah. and the technology is just so... You have drones. People can use personalized drones to stalk people. Yeah. This, was, this episode was literally a time capsule mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what it used to be like. And... I don't know what's worse. I mean, I, it's bad all the way around, but it almost seems like the disconnectiveness and having to use telescopic lenses to take creepy photos and the obsessing cutting out of said photos to make horrible collages. This wasn't a scary episode because there was a monster or some ghost. This was a scary episode because Eddie was going to do something bad regardless of yeah. getting that statue. Yeah. The, the, it just it, the statue just facilitated him doing something bad sooner yeah. rather than later. Yeah. The other thing and typically Nick and I in our all of our review stuffs we avoid what we'll call prognostication, guessing mm. what's going to happen. Yeah. But what I do love about this episode of this show is that this episode essentially prognosticates what's going to happen in 30 years. Mm. While nothing of social media is mentioned inside of this episode at all because obviously stuff didn't wasn't exist, invented right? yeah. didn't exist yeah. uh, what it does showcase is exactly much of the same enablings the the initiating factors inside of cyber stalking i mean like every single thing you can imagine yeah look at that girl that i see every day at school i know she would date me if only i could be closer to her well now you can you can go and watch people inside of their social media profiles to an extent many people just simply do not understand. Yeah. The the fact that with one click when you say follow or you see somebody follow you, you don't really have a scope of what that means anymore. Even today, uh, especially younger children, they just don't get what that means. And again, my, my total tip of the hat to the stalkerific factor of what happens inside of this episode. It's incredibly telling. It's a giant awareness awakening dart yeah. that everybody should look at or be shot at in the eye with. Amazing stuff. Way more cerebral storytelling than most. There's a couple of factors inside of this episode that make me tell everybody that the storytelling going on inside this series is way more cerebral feeling. There's way more you thinking about what's going on than you would typically have in what people would go, wait a minute, Friday the 13th? Isn't that just the whole knife stabby stabby thing? This is not the knife stabby stabby thing. I mean, like, not at all. 
it, it's what I know originally engaged me about the stolen slash sold off slash need to recover items inside of the antique store. That's what initiated my interest at all inside That's of this. It's a brilliant concept when you think about oh, it, especially it for an anthology it, series. It, it would work today. Oh, the, yeah, it would. The, the, this this would spill directly in. I, really, I think that's one of the factors why we're reviewing it, mm-hmm. is that a series like this that has this cerebral factor, that has this, you know, the antiques of 30 years ago, you know, the ones when I graduated high school. Okay, well, they weren't antiques back then. <laughs> well, yeah. And th- that's fun. It's fun to think about all of the things that, if it's 30 years old now, what would be antiques that would fall inside of my realm that would all spill into 80s? That is something that I know any one of a number of different television networks or even streaming networks would pick up instantly and run like a banshee with. Yeah. And so, again, total kudos to the entire writing staff, to the creative staff that's involved, and even the actors. I mean, this is a this is a tour de force of the, quote, villain slash antagonist inside mm-hmm. of this episode to making great cerebral content you can instantly wrap your head around. You take the cursed object away and uh, use roofies to get the mm. girls yeah. to, to, to want to be with you. And this turns into a Silence of the Lambs type of a, a story. Mm-hmm. That, uh, seriously, that's that's that, that's the line that you bounce back and forth. Uh, well, what are we using? Are we using drugs or are we using a cursed object? Yeah. It, again, really top top of the barrel stuff. This is this is the cream that rises to the top of storytelling when it you're focusing on something that is quote horrific. I love this. Strangely quiet. Nick and I have talked about this a lot inside of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuffs, where the choice to use no music at all or something incredibly quiet to provide the background of what you're looking at. In this episode, what they essentially use are the sounds of night. They don't use uh, an incredibly dramatic... Right. During any part of the episode at all. It's not an intrusive soundtrack. Right. And again, it, it plays directly into making this what could be really stupid storytelling. Something that is a step up that allows you to think and not have the intrusive bump of this overpoweringly stupid soundtrack that's used. That is used in way too many things, including a lot of television that's on nowadays. Yeah, this is the the lack of overused soundtrack helps with the tension building and the peril, especially the peril. Yeah. Because there's a yeah. lot of times where Eddie is being creepy and there's no music playing. It's just his heavy breathing or his crying at watching the girl that he wants to be with kissing some other guy. It just hammers home the quality of this episode. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you mentioned that. There's a piece, that, again, it just it amps up that stalkerific factor that I was talking about. There's a piece where Eddie is, he's, he's literally hunched over the photographs that he's either cut out or looked at or is waiting for stuff to dry on. Right. And he's got one in his hand, and he's got it so close to his face that you would think there's no way you could possibly see anything on that photograph. But you and I and everybody else that's watching, we know why that that picture is so close to his face. It's because he wants whatever is on that picture to be in him. Right. He just they, they wants this picture and him to be one and the same. Mm-hmm. And all of that is dead silent. There's nothing. There's maybe the little the little quenching of paper as he's as he's squeezing it and holding it closer to his face, but that's it. There's no overpowering anything. There's nothing like that at all. Uh, again, just a total total nod to the creative team on this one. Time got the best of this one. So we've already talked about the creep factor. We've talked about a lot of different things inside this episode. And frankly, all it needed was more time to develop a couple of those things. Yeah. 
I don't know what to call negative in this, mostly because it's an episode of a television program that encases incredibly negative things. There's nothing good about stalking. No. Like at all. And that we're able to watch it for so long, but then at the end, I want some more. I'm not entirely sure what that says about me, (laughs) but it does say that I think the episode and the storytelling here got shortchanged simply because we're playing with a 42 to 47 minute clock. Right. And it really did get shortchanged inside this episode. I think, I think this could have been, and it's just the third episode, but I think this would have benefited from a two parter. Uh, This episode, the first episode of the two parter in my mind would have focused more on the Rick Springfield not character. And we would have gotten a side of uh, this the curse uh, and the object, and we would deal with that. And then before the end of this first episode, we, we then lead into Eddie, come back next week, and then part two is all about Eddie. Mm-hmm. And I think I think had we been able to stretch this out a little bit more and gotten to know some of the characters, I don't know, we get to know Eddie pretty well. But I think there's still a lot more that we could have learned that would have creeped us even more out where Eddie was concerned. Yeah, I, I definitively agree with that. And again, this episode simply got shortchanged because of the time format of standard television episodes back then in the '80s. Oh, it's time to take a quick break during the Curious Goods podcast. A retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 1, Episode 3, Cupid's Quiver. We will be right back. The hunt is still on for the growing number of enchanted items. Return immediately to help us complete the journey. Right after these messages... Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, Those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. What is the genesis of horror. Do you know all the literature that spawned the genre, creating the classic films we all know and love today? Think you know your horror history? Test your knowledge and take a crash course in horror at twoguystalkinghorror.com. That's twoguystalkinghorror.com. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. Editing podcasts can be, ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time. To make your podcast soar, editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug. www.podcastbug.com. 
And now, back to the Curious Goods Podcast. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Goods Podcast. A retelling, a revisit, and complete educational detailing of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 1, Episode 3, Cupid's Quiver. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to showcase our curious goods. A curious good is where Nick and I recognize an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element, or something else that helps us provide you with more great curious goods. Nick, what have you got? During the review, I already gushed about Dennis Forrest and his portrayal of Eddie. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to do that here. Okay. My curious good is Eddie's lair. It's the, it's the production design, the stagecraft yeah, of what yeah. they created there. You know, actually watching the episode, there were a couple of times where I was like, this is this is Freddy Krueger's boiler room. Mm. I mean, it, it mm. was very reminiscent of the, the, there towards the end when uh, Mickey dressed as Lori was walking through there. I was like, am I watching a Nightmare on Elm Street movie right now? <laughs> because it felt the lighting and the tone and the setting just looked like Freddy's boiler. So the simple fact that I could be watching a show called Friday the 13th and I'm thinking about Freddy Krueger, way to go, guys. You, you made me feel like I was somewhere else. Yeah. And that is my curious good. Yeah, there's something else to mention there, too, is I have not paid attention to all of the Freddy Krueger slash Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Uh-huh. In it's particular, okay. the most recent movie that I love, Hurley Earl Jigadabada. I love him. Haley Joel Osment, no. Yeah, thanks for that. That's <laughs> Jackie that Earl Haley. Thank you. That's exactly what I said. What are you, deaf or something? <laughs> anyway, I love that guy, and it made me, especially when I heard he was cast, it made me want to go and see that, that film that they made. Uh-huh. And what I have always wanted, even back in the 80s when it was originally out in that, that whole <laughs> pointing factor thing of Freddy's Gauntlet and all of the things that were Freddy Krueger and how nightmarish, but haha, laughable it was. What I've always wanted is kind of a, again, to steal some thunder, but a Silence of the Lambs bending Freddy Krueger, mm. where I get that there's supernatural involved. We all get that. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. Duh. That, that factor's there. But what I want is, I don't want to laugh. I don't want to think of Freddy Krueger and laugh. I don't want to think of Freddy Krueger and somehow think that there's got to be some sort of in-joke thing that's got to happen inside the storytelling. And so you're absolutely right. I think one of the neat things, as much jokey joke as you and I have made during this episode of things, the fact is that we're looking at nothing that is funny. No, absolutely right. There are zero hilarity factors in regard to stalking. And so that this gives us not only a character portrayal, but a profile. Mm. I really find that during, in fact, that almost was my curious goods inside of this. Instead, my curious good for this episode has got to be the during and post anaphylactic shock scene inside of this episode. For those that haven't ever heard the words anaphylactic shock, it's when you die because your body is rejecting slash you are allergic to something. Mm-hmm. It can be something as simple as shellfish. It can be something as simple as, say, a peanut allergy. Right. But in this case, it is bee stings. And unfortunately, my wife is allergic to bee stings. It's how she originally became deaf, in fact. And so, I, wow. I, you know, you go, wow, that's horrific. Uh, eventual anaphylactic shock. She dies of bee stings. Terrible. Mm-hmm. But what's really, really terrible but great and my curious good all at the same time is what happens with Eddie during the death. Ah. She's being stung to death just crazily. Yeah. And he's at the window and he's mouthing to her absolutely seriously. Not no jokey joke at all. And again, it goes back to that. It's a profile and not a satire inside of this episode completely where he's going, and then the third time he says it, he goes, I, he points to himself. And then he, he draws the outline of a heart on the window as he says, love you. Right. Creepy, dude. Oh, yeah. 
ultra creepy. And again, it's creepy because there's no laugh track. There's no of music. It's just freaking creepy. It's creepy. It's creepy, dude. Mm-hmm. That's my curious good inside this episode. What was your curious good inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out that quick web form and tell us what was your curious good. Vocabulary. Everyone knows that I love vocabulary, and not so strangely during this episode, I identified a variety of words that I want everybody to take, not just a heart, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but let them really hammer home. Quiver. This is one of my favorite words, and I will divulge because I don't use it inside of any of my main passwords anymore, (laughs) but it is one of my very favorite words to use inside a password language set. Really? Yes. Because it has a Q and it has a V in it, and there are very few words that have a Q and a V in it. When you add in that you can make either of those letters turn sideways and be a different character slash letter inside of password sets, well, it makes them very appealing because inside of passphrase creation for passwords, all that means is that, for example, instead of using one word or a word like your dog's name or your birthday as your password... What you do is you you imagine your password being Eddie's victims are hot for brat. That's a passphrase that you can use as your password. And what you do is you go into Eddie, Eddie's victims are hot for brat. You choose a series of particular capital letters that you're going to use. But you can also go back in and use a variety of letters that yeah. can also be numbers. Okay. Now what you've created by doing that is something that it's going to be incredibly hard to discern and steal. That's why quiver, in addition to being a great word about something really cool that is the little holster for arrows, is also a great word for password creation. The other thing quiver stands for is perfect for anything that's horror. Duh. You're going to quiver in your boots because you're shaking so badly. It's awesome. Great stuff. Manifest. This is another excellent word that typically Nick and I, in the case of Friday the 13th, the series, would use for the ledger that we've been talking about. But it was literally called the manifest inside of this listing, which is also excellent because for the people that are on board a ship, they're listed on the ship's manifest, which is the storage of goods and people and whatever else. Well, it seems like there's there's several different resources that they use to track down the information of who owns what yeah. and what went where. So, so yeah, there's probably a ledger, a manifest, a uh, Rolodex, <laughs> maybe a, a manila envelope. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a, a cell phone contacts list. Oh, no, no, no. We won't have that. Not yet. The other thing that manifest means is obviously, again, to, to tilt towards the horror genre. Well, manifest. That's a perfect word that's used in all kinds of horror genre stuffs. Demons and ghosts manifest before me. Right. Nick talks about a lot of different properties over Two Guys Talking Horror that focuses specifically on the manifestation of demons and spirits and ghosts and blah and all that stuff. Again, make sure you go check out some great content over at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Anaphylactic shock. I hope that all of you that have heard these words understand exactly what that means, but more importantly, know if you are allergic to bee stings. Because if you're not, there's a bunch of bad things that happen when you're stung by a bee and you are allergic. One, your throat begins to swell. And this typically is what causes a lot of problems. You can imagine if your airway closes and it's due to nothing that you can stop or prevent. Okay, well, that's not good. That's definitively not good. The other thing you have to remember, too, is that often if you are a potential sufferer of anaphylactic shock, especially in regard to bee stings, you typically have to have something that's called an EpiPen. Mm-hmm. And the EpiPen is something that my wife and I have on us at all times. In fact, there's one over my backpack over there, Nick. My wife also has one inside of her purse. Just in the whatever-the-hell-accidental happenstance, 
that she is stung by a bee or a wasp or whatever else. She knows and she knows how to administer it. But more importantly, I know how to administer it to her if she ever has a problem. Right. It's something to really get educated about, but it's also something to talk to your family about because if anyone in your family is prone to anaphylactic shock, especially for bee stings, it's very likely that many of your other family members are also. While this all sounds like some sort of big educational scare tactic, well, it is. Uh, Again, I'd mentioned inside of our little soiree here that my wife is deaf because her immune system was sapped by anaphylactic shock, and she became deaf when she was then struck by meningitis because her uh, immune system could not fight back appropriately. So guys, I'm not kidding. This can be a very horrific, scary story. A horrific, scary story that makes anything we're going to see inside of this television show nothing. Do your research and listen to what I'm telling you. Anaphylactic shock, not fun. Nicarema. It's time for the rating inside this episode. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. Being shot by Cupid and falling in love. Hot for brat. A 1 is down on the other end of the scale. Not so awesome. Everything starts at a 7 on an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick... There are no Habsies. Nick, what do you got? Uh, I think this episode took both of us by surprise. Totally. Totally. I have vague recollections of this particular episode mm-hmm. from my youth. Yep. I was like, oh, yeah, the the one with the evil Cupid doll. Well, no, it turns out that it's a statue. Oh, okay, well, so my memory's a little fuzzy. But that's all that I'd be able to tell you about it. it, it it's a cautionary tale of stalking. For the late 80s, but for any time period. Totally agree. I I think the thing that really won me over was how serious they took it. They did not play this for laughs. Mm -hmm. They did not play this for scares. Mm -hmm. They played this seriously, which made it even scarier. Mm -hmm. And even though there were a couple of hiccups here and there, it is is television. It is a, you've got a budget you got to worry about, and it's, you know, the late 80s. I, I'm rating this episode. This is a nine. This is definitely a nine for me. I think that that's a great number for this episode. I think what I would focus on inside this episode is that one, we're only three episodes into this series. Yeah. Uh, you know, I as my, I would be willing to rate this a ten if we were deeper into the storytelling and they had a little bit more polish and chance to iron out the character portrayals, especially for Ryan and Mickey. Mm. Um, they are still green. They are still very. absolutely green inside this this series. It's very good, but. All of the, quote, villain slash antagonist stuff, all of the actor portrayals in regard to females and the auxiliary characters, you know, someone at a club just says, you know, I remember seeing that dude. I think they said something about going to the creek. Those are all words I've heard in my life. Yeah. I, I, I've heard people say akin things. Now, obviously, they weren't looking for stalkerific folk, <laughs> but it's like, hey, man, you know, you know where Greg went? Have you seen Jeff? Where did Jeff and Mark go? Do you know? Jeff and Gina, any idea? Uh, I think they went down to the creek, maybe? Where the hell is Jesse's girl? The most important factor of this episode is it is a profiling of a stalker. There's no question in my mind. Whether this was that actor's wooing of women at some point, which I have no idea, or something that was written in the script that he was able to just perform gold with as an actor... I don't have any idea. Right. But in my opinion, a home run in regard to that. Again, all they've got to do is work on some of the polish in regard to the the, the three main actors providing some 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 engine power inside of the episodes. And what you've got here is a super solid nine. That's where we ask you guys, what do you rate this episode? Season one, episode three, Cupid's Quiver. Let us know what you think by going again to our website. It's over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page, fill out that quick web form, and tell us what you think. Another great episode capture for the Curious Goods Podcast. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Regardless of whether you've got the natural mojo to make people hot for brat, 
or have to go steal a cheesy, ugly, ridiculous-looking statue to get people hot for brat. Tune in next time for our reviews of the recovery of the antiques inside of Friday the 13th, the series, during the Curious Goods podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. I don't know if I watch content and it instantly goes out of my brain enough. Right. That like like I I, I can tell you kind of what happened, but I would not that pinpricking through a storyline, uh. especially for the show so far. I, I just I don't have that. It's a gift. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's a gift. Awesome. <coughs> yeah, I, I see you're an idiot, Wilkerson. Great. <laughs> Glad I fucking teamed up with this shit. Jeez. All right. I can't believe I got another. We've we've all got sixty nine ta- episodes of this shit with you. No, uh, we've, we've 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 all got special talents, Mike. You don't have to feel so so common. Im- 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 I'm uh, starting to get punch drunk. Let's roll.